I'd like to welcome everybody this morning. Excuse me. Uh, a lot, of, a lot of our kids are. Uh, they went to Cherry Valley this morning with the youth group. So let's remember them and uh, pray that they have a good meeting down there and uh, just safe travels for that. And just remember our service here this morning. We, uh, as always, we look look forward to feeling the Lord's spirit this morning and uh, just pray we all can get in our spot and. Uh, have the service the Lord wants us to have, and uh, we don't have a lot else in our heart this morning. I'm going to ask uh, Brother Mike Nichols dismiss the Sunday school. Well, it's good to be here. Appreciate everybody for coming out this morning. Sure desire your prayers. We are going to be in the fourth chapter of John this morning. I've enjoyed studying this. I hope that the Lord will uh, move in this lesson. I mean, that's my desire. And uh, some good things uh, to discuss in here. So, like I said, really desire your prayers. Um, so, John is writing this and is giving a history of the things that had recently taken place. And so, like I, I do in a lot of uh, my lessons, rather than going right to the 46th verse, which is where this lesson starts in our book, like to talk a little bit about what was going on right before this and then also what was going on right after this just to kind of put it in chronological order for me that helps me when I'm studying these just to understand what had just happened and what was getting ready to happen so in the beginning part of chapter 4 a very very popular and well-known uh, event takes place and Jesus and his disciples uh, are traveling and they were headed into Galilee but to get to Galilee from where they were from they had to go through Samaria and so when he was in Samaria his disciples go into a town called Sychar and he sits down on the edge of a well and he has this just a very moving 
conversation with the woman uh, known as the Samaritan woman. And so that's what takes place. And uh, I'm going to read a couple of these verses because there's one part of this that just every time I read it, it just jumps out at me and blesses me so much. So we'll read that here in a minute. But he has this conversation with this Samaritan woman, and then he stays there at Sychar for two days, and then he travels on in uh, to Galilee where today's lesson is at. But I want to read, this is not part of, of our lesson proper, but uh, I guess it's been maybe a year ago I taught. Uh, the lesson was on this uh, exchange that took place here at the well in Samaria. And this just jumped out at me so much, and, and so I want to share it again, and then we'll move on into the lesson. So we'll start at verse 28. So they'd had this conversation. It said, The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. So this group is making their way out of the city out to where the well was at. And at the same time, Christ and his disciples are having a conversation, and a couple of them ask him, do you want something to eat? And they're having just this conversation there at the well. But then we get down to verse 35, and this is really just such a blessing to me. And this is Christ speaking. Say ye not... There are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And the point that I made then I wanted to reiterate now is, Christ was looking back at the city of Samaria, sitting on the well, and his disciples were standing there and they were talking to him, and he saw all of these people coming out of Samaria, coming to the well to meet him. The woman had just gone into the town and said, this man out here at the well, he told me everything that ever I did. You got to come see him. And they were coming. They were coming to see him. And so he said, look, it's only April, but we don't have to wait four months for the harvest to happen. We can start harvesting right now. Look at all these people coming out here. The, the fields are ripe. They're ready for the harvest. And I think his, I can just see this in my, in my mind. I think his disciples turned and were astonished when they're seeing all of these people. Why are these people coming out here? They hadn't been there when he had the exchange with the woman. They didn't know that she had just gone into town and told them about this conversation that she had had, but the fields were white and ready to harvest. And what a, a blessing that is when you can see that in this scripture, and he's telling them, it's time to get to work. And he's telling us the same thing today, time to get to work. Uh, there's, there's harvesting that, that's ready. So what a, a great blessing that was for me just to get to revisit that and uh, wanted to share it again. So uh, after this, Christ stayed there with them in, in Samaria for a couple, two days. But then he had a place that he needed to be. And so, um, and it says here 
in verse uh, 45, uh, then uh, when he, he went on into Galilee, and uh, the Galileans, they received him. And so let's go ahead and we'll start there. With I'm going to read verse 45, and our, our lesson picks up in verse 46. But Then when he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast. Back in, verse, or back in chapter 2, it tells about uh, Christ going to the temple, and it was the feast of the Passover, and it was the first time that he did this, but he was very unhappy because they, were, they had turned the church into a commercial event. They, were, they had booths set up all over the place selling things right there in the temple. And that was not what that was, was set up for. There was a proper place for that, but it certainly wasn't there. And he drove them out. And many of the Jews believed on him then. He started a public ministry, and it became very public right then when he did that. But a lot of these folks that were in Galilee had traveled to Jerusalem and were there and saw that. So this is just a few days later. And he, there he is. He's there in Galilee. And they came out and received him and wanted to hear more about it. So, you know, sometimes we do things today and we wonder, did that really have much impact? Did, what, what was that good for? And sometimes, boy, we don't, we never find out. I mean, there's not an explanation or it's not revealed to us what that's about. But what we do today is sometimes setting the table for what God is going to give us the opportunity to do tomorrow or next week or down the road somewhere. Don't be worried in well-doing. If God gives you something to do, do it. And have confidence that there's a purpose for it. Now, we may not, we may not ever get it, or it may be a week from now or a month from now. Or it might be years from now before we have it revealed. But there's a purpose. His, his purpose and his understanding is much greater than ours. So, um, so let me finish reading that verse. Having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. So it's saying that these folks from Galilee had traveled and had gone uh, and, and it was it was a, a day or two's journey walking for these folks to get from Galilee through Samaria down uh, to Jerusalem. So verse 46, we'll pick up here. This is the beginning uh, of the lesson that the book set out for us. And as always, if you've got a comment or a question, please feel free to join in. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee where he had made the water wine. So if you go back to chapter 2, You'll see, and this has only been, the best I can put this together, it was probably 10 days, could have been two weeks, uh, but it hadn't been months and months since he was at the wedding and turned the water to wine. That's the second chapter of John, and just reading through there and trying to put the days together, probably 10 days or two weeks. But So he came back again. Pretty interesting to me. Remember, now Christ is walking, and there's elevation here uh, because Cana 
was elevated. It was a higher area. It wasn't a low area. So he had made his way, went through Samaria. Certainly a reason for him to be in Samaria. We know what that was. But then he goes on into Cana. And so, but he had been to Cana and had this wedding feast. And then he had gone to Capernaum, which is uh, another journey and lower elevation. And then he had gone back to Jerusalem within just a few days and then back into Samaria and back into Cana again. So, boy, it seems like a lot of walking. I'm thinking, man, if he could have just, you know, orchestrated all that out, he could have made all these pieces fit together. But again, that's my mind. The pieces all fit together exactly the way they were supposed to fit together. Even though he's making a trip and coming back and making a trip and coming back and a lot of physical walking and a lot of stuff going on, but it all fits together exactly like it's supposed to fit together. His timeline, so much more knowledgeable than ours. And I think about when he, they called him and said, your friend Lazarus is sick. And he tarried and he didn't go. But he had a purpose. He knew that he needed to raise Lazarus from the dead. And in that scripture, if you'll look on down, there were people that had seen him perform many miracles prior to raising Lazarus. But when he raised Lazarus, then many of those believed. So there was a purpose in that. He puts us in positions sometimes where something that we look on and, and from a natural standpoint is bad, we're sick, or somebody else is sick, or there's some, you know, social tear up over here that's not good. There's something going on in our lives that is hard on us. And I think about Paul and Silas, but he puts us there so that the result from that can be a, either a help to us or a help to somebody around us that may not have been looking or may not have been touched had we not had that trouble. And so, and we see that exact same thing happening here. So let's look at verse 46. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. All right, so here we go. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is approximately 15 miles from Cana. All right. And, and Cana and Capernaum are about 1,500 feet difference in elevation. Capernaum is lower, and it'll say something here later about going down to Capernaum. It's not going south, and we use that term for, you know, if we're saying uh, map-wise, if we say, well, where are you headed? Well, I'm headed down south. We use that because on the map it shows that down. That's not the down it's talking about here. Capernaum was actually north of Cana, but it was 1,500 feet lower. So every mile that he went, it was 100 feet. If you're coming from Capernaum to Cana, it was an uphill battle. It was, it was quite a, a, a travel to get there, okay? But this man from Capernaum, travels to Cana, and he's got a purpose. His son's sick. 
That's what I was talking about. Let's think about this. If we think about it from a natural standpoint, your son gets sick and the doctors say there's nothing they can do, that's probably the worst thing that happened to this person. But let's see what comes out of the worst thing that happened to him. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down, there's the come down, and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. All right. So looking through this, I want to tell you right now that I think normally what the, what the scriptures and what the commentary says is it's normally a day's journey from Capernaum to Canaan, all right? Especially with the elevation and 15 miles and having to go up, it's a full day's journey if you stay at it, all right? Christ had just gotten to Galilee. He got there either the night before or that day. I think this man headed out and made it in half a day. And I'm going to tell you why I think he made it in half a day. But again, think about it. Your son's sick. He's about to die. The doctors have said nothing we can do for him. But he knew a man who he thought maybe, maybe he can do something for me. So he went to him. And he went to him urgently. So let's read on here and see what, what we said. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Kind of an odd response that Jesus makes to the man here. The man comes and says, My son's about to die. Will you come and, and heal him? And Jesus says, Well, you're going to need signs and wonders before you'll really believe. Now, some of the commentaries try to focus on him believing what Christ tells him next, but that's not what Christ was referring to here. Because Christ goes on and says, well, your son's going to be okay. And, and it says the man believed and he left. That's not the believing that Christ was really interested in. Christ was interested in the believing that the man had from his heart that Christ was actually the Christ. All right. And he's telling him. And, and I don't really think that it's just to this man. I think it was to the entire crowd here. I think he was saying, for you to really believe in me, it's going to take some wonders. It's going to take some miracles. And just like back when Christ raised Lazarus, it took that for some of those people to believe. All right. Well, what does it take for us to believe? What's the, what's the miracle for us to believe. Well, how about a man being crucified and then getting up from the dead and talking to us through the gospel? I mean, that's what it took for me to believe. That was the sign and the wonder. But he's telling this man here, it's going to take some things for you to really believe. I don't think the man comprehended what Christ was saying to him, but certainly he's on a journey and he's got a purpose why he's there. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. 
He's, he's serious. This is serious business. He knows that his son's not going to make it if Christ doesn't do something for him. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. I want to come back to that in just a minute, but I want to finish this first. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. So let's stop here for a minute. I think one of the most remarkable scriptures in this lesson, and just a completely remarkable scripture, Go thy way, thy son liveth. So let's look at it from this standpoint. This man is really praying. Now Christ is right there in front of him, and he's talking to him. But it's the same for us as if we're praying, okay? And we're praying and we're asking God, you know, give me this. I, I've got this need. I need you to intervene. Help me. And sometimes before we see what Christ is doing, see, it's, it's easy to believe once the healing takes place, once the event has been, or, or the chasm has been fixed, once the social tear-up, whatever it is, has been mended, then it's easy to believe and go, well, yeah, that was awesome. But what about before? You ever get an answer to a prayer and God said, don't worry about that. That's all taken care of before it ever got taken care of? Has anybody else? I'm, I've had that happen a few times. I'm, and it, I'm not special. God will tell, is telling, will tell all of us that, but I've had that happen a few times. One of the times that I saw this happen, and it wasn't me, uh, but I'll tell you who it was. I don't, I don't think he would care. He shared this numerous times. Years ago, uh, our singing group went to Columbus, and we... We had an appointment, and we were at the, the studio. We had been there all day. We left at like 5.30 in the morning, got down there really early. We sang all day, put our songs on the, on the recorder, and then we stayed, and we do what they called mixed, and we worked on trying to get everything balanced out the way we wanted it. We got back, and we had carpooled together. We got back, and we were actually pulled into Mom and Dad's house where they used to live out on Hanthorn Road or uh, McLean Road and when we got back uh, John Patrick was with us and there were two or three of his family's cars in the parking lot and he said something's wrong because it was like one o'clock in the morning and well his son had gotten very sick and the family had met there and they had left there and gone to the hospital and, but we didn't have cell phones at that time, so they didn't have any way to get a hold of us. And they had tried to call the studio, but they didn't answer the phone because it was so late. And by the time that we, so we had all got back. And, and it sounded really, really bad as far as the first reports that they had told his family about his son. And I remember John praying. And he said, it sounds really bad, but God's assured me this is going to be okay. And so he left and went on to the hospital, and his son was okay. But that was one of the first times that I observed that answer. Basically the same spot here. 
John's praying, you know, God, this doesn't sound good. Doesn't know what all the facts are, but knows enough of them. But prayed, and God said, don't worry about it. I got this one under control. Now, I've had the same thing happen in my life. I've had it happen with illness. I've had it happen with people that I that were not saved, that I was praying for. And God would say, I'm, I'm going to deal with them. I'm going to I'm going to call them. I've had it happen with people that were out of fellowship that I was concerned about. I've had it events, you know, again, social things where people, you know, were there was turmoil. And I think, man, I don't see any way out of this. And I'd pray about that. And God would say, I got this. All right. Now, I want to tell you, that doesn't happen every single time I pray. Now, sometimes I pray, and I know the prayer gets through. I can feel it. But God doesn't reveal to me what the outcome's going to be. He'll let me know, I heard your prayer. But he'll just, it's just a dark glass. I know he's working on it, and I've just got to keep my faith in him. And that's fine, too. It's that way most of the time. But occasionally, he'll just pull it back and go, Hey, take a deep breath. I got this. It's all going to be all right. Just like he does this guy right here. You know, so let's see this again. Go thy way, thy son liveth. Wow. So this fellow, this nobleman, was expecting and hoping that Christ would travel on to Capernaum and lay his hands on the boy or say a prayer over him or do something. He was begging him, come. And Christ showed him, I don't have to be right there at the bedside to have an impact on what's going on. Same with us. You know, he's not here naturally. But sometimes when it's just me and him, he can intervene and say, I got this. You know, I got this. What consolation there is in having a God that can say, I got this. All right. Now, I don't know about anybody else, but I'll just talk about me. Because, I, I mean, I, you know, I'm in my own head. <laughs> and so, uh, Don got it. He's laughing. So, uh, Sometimes I pray for things, and I pray for them, and I pray for them, and I pray for them. And the act of praying becomes almost habit, really, more than an earnest prayer, really, from my heart. I mean, I'm trying to pray, and I am praying. You know, one of the things that is so important when we pray, asking God to intervene somewhere, is to really believe that God is going to intervene somewhere. All right? Really believe. And I've told you, and I tell you about every time I'm up here, I limit God because of this guy right here. I pray and say, God, you know, do this for me. But in the back of my mind, I'm putting handcuffs on him going... That'll never happen. That, you know, I, I just don't know if that... But I'm asking, but I limit God. Anybody else ever in that spot? Because, boy, I am. I, I put limits on him a lot. 
But we need to pray with a belief that God is going to do what we're asking him to do. The earnest prayers of the righteous availeth much. All right, that's over in James. I may not have quoted that exactly right, but we need to pray it. Now, I've also really wanted God to do some things and prayed or tried to pray. I've said some words or said some thoughts, you know, directing them to God, and it just doesn't really get through, okay? I've heard Carl, and he's got a great example. I'll use his example. He had one of his family members was was in the hospital and they got a call and he said he was on the way to the hospital trying to pray for him and couldn't get connected at all to pray for God to help him and got there and found out pretty quickly that you know a loved one had passed away people are going to die our people are leaving here we didn't come here to stay forever so our people are going to die so God's not going to answer every prayer where we pray God you know help brother so-and-so or mom or dad or who he's not going to answer every one of them because our people aren't staying here forever they're leaving so there's a time set and he's going to take them all right so every one of those things isn't always a prayer that he's going to hear we have to pray in his will if it's if it's his will he'll let you know that that's what i was talking about it'll connect and you'll know your prayer got through you'll be able to feel it Sometimes, and I've been in the same spot that I was just talking about that Carl's told us about. There's been times where I've tried to pray, and it just bounces off the ceiling and comes right back to me because that's not the time for that prayer. God's got another plan. But his wisdom and his plan are so much greater than what we understand. And he's got this greater good that's really what his plan is have you ever had someone an unbeliever or even if it's a maybe if it is a christian that's lost somebody that you know especially if it's at a young age you know earlier than they thought you ever had somebody ask you why would god do that why did god you know take so and so i don't understand you ever had somebody i've had some people ask me that and I had somebody ask me that recently, and they were really, you know, having a hard time. And I told them, and I really think this is the answer. I said, I don't know God's plan, but I said, I do know that God's greater plan is all good for all of us. And I said, it's really hard to put your confidence in well, that's God's plan, and it's greater than all of us when you don't see it. But I really believe that's the case. And I told this person that was talking to me, I said, the other thing that you need to, to comprehend is that the, the purpose that we're here isn't to go to college and get a good job and get married and have some kids and make a lot of money and spend a couple weeks at the lake every year and and just hum along those are all great things and i like to do all of those things and god's blessed me with a lot of that that's not the reason we're here the reason we're here is to get ready to leave here 
And then it's to help somebody else get ready to leave here. And when God reaches down and takes somebody out of our lives and we go, wow, I never saw that coming. I thought they had 20 more years or whatever. A lot of times it's to redirect our focus. Mine, yours, somebody else's, and you know, sometimes that's to redirect our focus to realize we didn't come here to stay forever. We're leaving here. And eternity really has two places. A lot of people don't believe that. If you go to just about any funeral of other denominations or no denomination, According to them, everybody that they bring up in a casket's going to heaven. And that's just not the case. I mean, that's harsh. And I don't go up to people that just lost a loved one and go, well, you know, I hope you're so-and-so made it to heaven. Not sure they did. I mean, I don't say that. Nobody, I don't think anybody says that. I've never felt like saying it. But we need to be letting people know that not everybody that dies goes to heaven. The same book that tells us about heaven tells us about hell. They're both real. All right. So let's get to the last part of this lesson because it was great that Christ healed this young man. But guess what? That young man long ago died. I don't know what from. The Bible doesn't tell us that I know of. But this is over 2,000 years ago. That, that boy's not alive anymore. But let's see what lasted eternally that happened here. And this is talking about the nobleman, verse 51. And as he was now going down, and again, this is uh, elevation, his servants met him. Well, there's some good servants. You know, reminds me of the Reminds me of the prodigal son. His dad was looking down the road for him and went out and met him. Well, these folks, they went to tell their, they went to tell the, their, their master something good's happened here. They went to tell him about it and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Well, he already knew it. Said he believed it. He already knew it. But he was headed home because he wanted to see the evidence of it. I would have been too. All right. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. He wanted to know, when did he get better? When was it? And they said unto him, yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. This is why I think he made it in half a day. The first hour is 6 a.m. In April in Jerusalem, the sun rises at about 6 a.m. That's the first hour. When the sun comes up, that's when they start counting. Okay, Seventh hour would be 1 o'clock. I think he left first light, and I think he hustled, and he made that full day trip in half a day. That's just my thought, but I'm pretty sure it's right. I don't think he spread it into two days. And so I think he got there and got to Christ as soon as he could. We need to be in a hurry. He was in a hurry. His son was dying. But there was a bigger problem here than the physical health of his son. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth. 
Now get this. This is the good part right here. And himself believed. All right. He had already believed the day before that his son was alive. So what's he believing now? He's believing that the Christ really is the Christ. That's the eternal part. Son's long since died, but that eternal part, that's still good. All right? That's still good. Now, I like this part too. And his whole house. Wasn't just one soul, the whole family. Whole house believed. If we will believe, and if we'll take some action on our belief, it will, it will have an impact on our family and the people around us. Did I just say if we'll believe and take some action that everybody we want and know will get saved? No, I didn't say that. A lot of them will, but it's an individual choice. But it'll have an impact on them. They'll see something this man's house saw something different in him after he believed. And I believe he's telling them, I went and saw this man named Jesus, and he told me the boy was okay, and I came home, and guess what? The exact moment he told me he was okay was when he got better. There's that sign he told this man about back at the beginning of this lesson. Except you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. He knew what it was going to take. He was predicting it. He already knew what was getting ready to happen. So the man believed and his whole house believed. So what kind of God would make a little boy, innocent little fella, probably never did anything wrong, and a house of people that were good people, <clears throat> and trying to do what was right, and trying to be good to their neighbors, and their little boy gets sick, and the doctors say there's nothing they can do for him. What kind of God does that? That's awful. Well, from a natural perspective, it is awful. I mean, I'm being funny, obviously. But if it's my son or my grandchild, it's awful. If it's somebody I know real close to me, it's awful. That stuff is real. It hurts. I get it. But what I want you to understand here is it's the bigger picture that's really important here. God will use natural things that hurt for this long to bring about spiritual things that are great and my arms aren't big enough because they're eternal. Who's got any comments? That's good. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to salvation or living for God, each individual has a choice. All right. So we can pray. And I think we should pray specifically. And we can pray, 
God, bring that back, you know, for that, for that one that's, that's not walking, that's been saved but backslidden. Bring back the memory of that to them. Put a desire there. Put a, a fire in them and make them want to, you know, give them, make them feel want. And I think God is capable of doing all those things. It still comes down to me. If I got up this morning and said, I'm not going to church, Becky could have said, well, why aren't you supposed to teach Sunday school? You need to go. Why, why aren't you better get ready? Nope, I ain't going. If I said I ain't going and just sat down, then I wouldn't be here. Right? Denny Crow, our late preaching buddy, said this once at a revival here. He said, I can tell you why people don't go to church. Who all remembers that? Remember it? I can tell you why people don't go to church. Because they don't want to. You know. So we all have a we all have an individual choice. But our prayers will certainly impact the people around us. God will stir them up. And we need to pray with a vision that what we're praying for is going to happen. Believing it. God will definitely make some impact there. Any other comments? I appreciate your attention. You know, at the time when Tara got saved, I prayed, prayed that morning because things just, I mean, I'll just say, like so, social turmoil. And I asked God, I said, service that day. And, and you know, what I'm like say it happened, you know, when I least expected it. And and then after that, Noah got saved.